0: So very thankful to have the opportunity to again uh, come to the house of the Lord to worship and praise our worthy Savior. This morning I would like to uh, title our study together, Growing in Grace and Knowledge. While most of our remarks will be from the first chapter of 1 Peter, or 2 Peter, I would like us to read 2 Peter chapter 3. Uh, verses, uh, verse 18 together. In Second Peter chapter 3, verse 18, Peter writes, But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. We need to keep in mind that these are the closing words in the life of the Apostle Peter. Historically, we read where the early church fathers said that he wrote these words just prior to his own martyrdom at Rome. This is an uncontested fact of history that the Apostle Peter, as well as Paul, would be martyred in Rome. And heavy upon the heart of Peter was this summary, this uh, exhortation for Christians to grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ for the purpose of bringing glory to His name. It's interesting to my mind that the Apostle Peter would have this uh, on his heart as he faced certain death at the hands of Nero, the Roman emperor. And in this summary statement, there's an indication for the need for Christians to pursue maturity, to pursue growth, growth individually as well as collectively. It's not wrong for us to, grow for the, uh, to pray for the church to grow. It's not wrong for us to be committed in, and intentional in our desire to grow individually in our own walk with the Lord, in our own understanding of who He is and what He would require of us. I think it's uh, interesting that Peter would write in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, to the Christian community, he'd say, Wherefore, laying aside all malice and and guile, and hypocrisies, and envyings, and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that they may grow thereby, that they may be nourished and grow to maturity thereby. The Apostle Peter shares the equal desire of Paul. So much of Paul's writing is Directed toward the growth of the Christian life, the growth of the Christian church. I'm mindful of what he said in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 21. He said, In whom, in Christ, all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Holy Spirit. What a tremendous statement from both Paul and Peter. Uh, Paul said in Ephesians 4 verse 15, But speaking the truth in love, we may grow up into Him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. The church does not belong to an individual. The church belongs to Jesus Christ. He paid for the church with His own blood. But there is an intentionality that is imposed upon those who come to faith in Christ that they would not just uh, uh, just uh, float along through life, but intentionally pursue growth in knowledge and growth in the graces that we receive through Christ. Paul said in Second Thessalonians chapter one verse three, we are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because that your faith groweth exceedingly, and the charity of every one of you all toward each other abounds. It's not a just get by type of mentality, is it? It's it's an intentional, a purposeful uh, desire that we have this morning to grow, to grow in. Grace, not grow into grace, but to grow in grace. To, to have the grace that we have received internally to be more manifested externally, outwardly for the glory of Jesus Christ. It was Jesus who gave us the parable in Matthew chapter 13 verse 31 when he said, The kingdom of heaven is likened to a grain of mustard seed which a man took and sowed in his field which indeed is the smallest of all the seeds. And yet, when it is grown, it is the greatest among the herbs and becomes a tree in which even birds find refuge in its branches. So you see, there's a, there's a continuity between the teaching of Christ and the teaching of Paul and the, the subsequent teaching of Peter. They're focused on the growth of the Christian but that's easy to say and perhaps even to imagine but how is that growth going to happen is it something that just uh, mystically appears in the life of an individual or or is it something that that actually uh, takes a great deal of labor a great deal of effort Now I want you to back up to 2 Peter chapter 1. And we're going to understand that a little bit better. Because this is really what's on the heart of Peter. Peter knew that he was about to die. He was like the Apostle Paul. He he was very well aware of the sentence of death against him for nothing more than being a Christian. But he was ready to die. He was ready to face death. Because of what he knew about the risen Savior. And... uh, I believe that the Apostle Peter had in mind not only the 1st century Christians, but also the 21st century Christians when he writes these words. In 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse 1, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. We notice in this introduction that Peter identifies himself not only as uh, an apostle, one of the primary uh, twelve Apostles, but also as a servant, as a duelos, as, as a bond slave to Jesus Christ. And he's speaking not to the indifferent, not to the unregenerate, not to the unbeliever, but those who have obtained like precious faith. He's talking to the Christian community. Here. He says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. There, there's a a stated uh, commitment in the preaching of the true gospel to impart the knowledge of God's Word to God's people. But how is that going to contribute toward the growth? of the believer, in grace, and in knowledge. The first point I want to make is the basis of growth. The basis of growth. In verses uh, 3 and 4, listen to the basis of this growth. According, in accordance with, As His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust." Now I know I want to notice I want to notice uh, three particular points in this in this uh, section in verses three and four we find a reference to God's power, we find a reference uh, to God's promise, and we find a reference to our participation. Notice he says according as God's divine power. God's divine uh, enablement for spiritual growth. The only way and manner in which you and I are able to experience spiritual growth is through the enablement of the Holy Spirit Himself. And it's important for us to understand that. The power is not generated by the pastor. The power is not generated by man. The power is generated by a sovereign God whose intent is to conform His children to the very image of Jesus Christ. I, I think about this a lot in the terms of what Paul said in his prayer for the Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 1 verse 19, when he's praying for the church at Ephesus, he says, And what is the exceeding greatness of His power to us who believe according to the working of His mighty power, the surpassing Excellence of God's almighty power. The Apostle Peter is not trying to convince the Christian community that they need to exert more effort or exert more uh, intelligentsia or academia in the process of growth. This is something that the Spirit of God enables us. The Spirit of God enables us to study His Word. The Spirit of God enables us to have a prayer walk with the Lord. He uh, enables us to worship and to praise. He enables us to serve one another. It is the Spirit of God that does that. So we're not talking about uh, something that you can yourself fabricate. But this is what God does through His church. He says, uh, this divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and uh, to virtue. To glory and to virtue. The word virtue there is an important word study. It comes from a Greek uh, word that literally means moral strength. Or courage. Now in the context of a Christian, it, it's it's uh, many times the, the world casts Christianity as a group of weaklings, as, as people that you know, they they're they're so weak in of themselves, they, they have to depend on somebody else. So they created God or created a Christian religion that would somehow benefit them in their weakness. But Peter says to be a Christian takes a great deal of strength, a great deal of courage. And many of us know this to be true experientially because it's always easy to go with the flow, isn't it? it, it, The easiest task is to just shut your mouth and not say a word, even when those around you are contradicting the teachings of Christ, all of us have experienced that from time to time. It takes courage to stand up and say, oh no, I can't go with you there. I can't embrace CRT. As a Christian, a critical race theory, I, I can't do that. I, I, can't, I can't vote uh, for a candidate that is in favor of homosexual marriage or abortion. I, I can't do that as a Christian. It violates the virtue of the Christian ethic or calling. It takes courage to stand up against the flow of this world. And Peter's acknowledging that. Peter's saying your growth in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ is not going to be something easy. It's going to be something that costs you dearly. And it's going to take a great deal of courage for you to be able to stand up when everyone else is going the other way. How are we going to do that, Peter? Well, it's not only because of God's divine power, but it's also because of God's sure promises. Listen to what he says in verse 4. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these, by these Promises, ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. You see, what God is saying through His Word to us this morning is it's going to take a great deal of courage and a great deal of strength, but that strength and courage is something that I supply. Jesus Christ in John chapter 1, verse 14, He's the fullness of grace and truth, right? He's full. You're sitting there this uh, morning and you're saying, but Brother Jeff, I'm telling you, I've kind of, uh, I've been asking God all my life for more and more grace. And every day I live, I'm saying, Lord, I need more grace. I need more grace. I need more. Surely he's going to run out sometime along the way. But brothers and sisters, he's full of grace and truth. He's just as full of grace and truth today as he was in the morning of time. Isn't that amazing? So Peter is saying, "I'm not talking about your own strength. I'm not talking about something that you fabricate. I'm talking about something that my grace is able to give you." I'm mindful of a story one time uh, about uh, two Auss- uh, Aussies, Australians, young soldiers that were uh, that joined the. Uh, the uh, uh, United Kingdom Navy. They, 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 they were members of the British Navy, and they, for the first time away from home, sailed and came into port at London. And when they got to London, of course, they uh, got off the ship and they went to the pubs and uh, uh, enjoyed the nightlife of the, c- uh, the city of London. And, and uh, while they were uh, doing all of that riotous uh, living, and uh pretty enumerated uh, they came out of the pub that uh, the last pub that they went to to head back toward the ship and all of a sudden there, there was a huge fog that fell on london and they were they they didn 't know which direction to go and They heard the steps of a man walking on the the wood plank uh sidewalk and uh didn 't know who he was, but they Uh, looked at the man through this foggy, mystic uh, uh, night and uh, being inebriated as, as they were, they didn't recognize him as the admiral of the British Navy. And the one guy looks at him and he says, Hey, bloke, that's what they say. Hey, bloke, can you tell us where we are? And the Admiral looked at these two drunk sailors and he says, Do you know who I am? And the one that asked the question looked at his drunk fellow and he says, You know, we're in worse shape than I thought. We don't know where we are and he doesn't know who he is. Well, brothers and sisters, sometimes in our culture, The Christian church is a lot like that. We don't know where we are and we don't know who he is. We don't know the power of Christ because we don't claim the promises that we have in him. And we just float along without power, without strength, without witness, without light. And then we wonder why we're in the shape we're in. But you see, Peter's heart is for the growth of the church. And the basis of that growth is hinged upon divine power, divine promises, and upon our participation. We have to be willing to participate in God's work in the world. He's not going to force you into that. He's not. He's not going to force us to do what He's commanded us to do freely. We are called to be intentional. I think about this in the terms of Paul in Philippians chapter 3 verse, verse uh, 10. You, you know, he says, he says, not that I have attained, but I press on. I press forward. I'm, I'm, I'm intentional that I might apprehend that which is apprehended of me, that I might uh, obtain the mark that is before me. The basis of this growth is hinged upon God's power, God's promises, and our willingness to participate. The next point that I want to make is the process of growth that Peter is subscribing to between verses uh, 5 through 7. And besides this, Peter writes, giving all diligence, this is not something that's haphazard or once-in-a-week type of conduct. This is something that is a daily lifestyle. And besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, virtue, knowledge, knowledge, temperance, temperance, patience, patience, brotherly, kind, uh, godliness, brother, uh, godliness, brotherly, kindness, and brotherly kindness, charity. Now stop right there and consider what these uh, terms mean. There's seven terms here that the Apostle Paul says are processual. They build one on another. They're connected. These are not indistinct qualifications to be a Christian. This, this is saying if you're a Christian, this is what it's about. The first step is this important word uh, of faith. This faith. Where does that faith come from? That faith is a gift from God, right? Right? For by grace are you saved through what? Through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the what? The gift gift of God. That's correct. It is given to the elect. I do not believe it's given to the unelect. I, I do not believe that it's something that every human being is capable of. I believe that only God's covenant children will ever be given this gift with which to believe. Somebody says, well, what if somebody wants to believe in Jesus Christ and they find out they're not one of God's children, therefore they are discouraged because they really want to believe in Jesus, but they're they're not elect, so why would they try? Have you ever run into that? I have. Let me hasten to say this morning, if you have that desire... In your heart, to trust in Jesus Christ as your hope of salvation, that is the greatest evidence that you belong to Him. Now, I know there's a lot of different kinds of teaching on that matter, but faith is a gift of God to His people to bring them to a point of conversion. To bring them to the point where they actually trust in Jesus Christ for their salvation. So he says, I want you to add faith. Uh, I want you to add to faith something. Notice he didn't say you're adding to faith faith. Notice that. Because faith is God's gift to you. But he says there's something that you and I need to be intentional about developing after we have been brought to faith in Jesus Christ. Our forebears called it saving faith. And there's a reason they called it that. Not that faith itself is what saves, but faith in Christ, that saves the sinner, is something that is intended to be the foundation upon which you build a Christian life. It's the first step as it were. And you're going to add to faith this virtue, this, this uh, wonderful uh, moral compass that God gives to His people whereby they live a life that brings please, uh, pleasure to the heart of God. It glorifies God. It makes God happy when His people are living the way they're supposed to live. So He says, I want you to add faith, to your faith virtue, and the virtue, knowledge, and this word knowledge is not just a, an academic exercise. It's not, inte- it's, it's not just intelligentsia. This knowledge, uh, by definition, is insight or discernment. This is something that you and I uh, are uh, supposed to be uh, embracing, supposed to be uh, developing more and more in our knowledge of what God Would command of us and to knowledge you're going to add something else you're going to add temperance or uh, self-control or self-discipline I believe this is what is uh, you know uh, brother Robert was talking about his uh, coaching experience and he's a little hoarse and the reason a a coach often gets hoarse is because uh, he's got a bunch of uh, uh, players that that are not listening am I right brother Robert and, and, and it's just the truth of it. You know, uh, sometimes we don't hear our coach. Sometimes we don't hear what Jesus is actually saying. We think we know, but we find out in the midst of all of the hits and the turns and the twists on the football field, we're actually running the wrong direction. And the coach is on the sidelines. You're going the wrong way. You're going the wrong way. Kind of embarrassing. Discipline is crucial to the church. Discipline is crucial to children. Discipline is crucial to uh, uh, people involved in sports. I don't know about you, but I had a football coach that, Uh, win, lose, or draw, you're going to be running till you drag at the end of every practice. And one time, uh, I'm, I'm just asking, you know, but one time I asked the coach, why in the world do you run us to death? He says, oh, I want you to have the same amount of wind the last minute of the last quarter than you did the first minute of the first one. Now that made sense to me. How how is that developed? Through discipline. Now, speaking on Christian terms, how are we to be intentional about our growth in this area of knowledge, in this area of grace? How are we? It's not going to just happen. It's something that is going to require time and effort on all of our parts. Can I give you an example? If we're really serious about being Christians, some of us are going to have to change our getting up time. And some of us might have to change our going to bed time. But there needs to be in each day that we live, there needs to be a time in which we are brought before the Word of God in humble prayer, and concentration, no phones, no texts, no TV, no radio, no just you and God by yourself focusing upon His Word. And it may even be a verse. It may be uh, that uh, as my wife and I have been doing for years, uh, reading through the Bible together all uh, in one year, you can do that. And it's enjoyable. In fact, you you look forward to it in the morning and evening readings. You you look forward to that because it's it's meeting a need in your own heart. But I'm speaking to the individual now and I'm saying if you understand the process of growth, you understand that it's something that is going to require self-discipline. There's going to have to be a time in your life when you are alone with God. And see, that scares some people to death. But you need to be alone with God. And many times it, it's not so much what you're saying to God, but it's what God's saying to you that counts. It takes discipline. It, it takes, di- I believe in church discipline. I believe when a brother or sister in the church that are a member of the church, if they are walking in a way contrary to the teachings of Christ and the teachings of the church, they should be disciplined. Now, that discipline is not to hurt them. That discipline is not to destroy them. It's not to throw them away. But the discipline is necessary to bring about repentance, to bring about an awareness that I'm accountable As a member of the church, I'm accountable to the church for the life that I live. And if there is no repentance, I believe that there's a place for the church to withdraw fellowship from that individual. And I believe that that honors the Lord. Discipline is so important, not just to the athlete, and not just to the soldier, and not not just to the... uh, individual it's also necessary for the collective good of the church he's talking about growth and he's saying this discipline is is necessary this this temperance is is necessary it's essential it's an essential part of who we are and and what's going to happen As we build upon this block, he he says, I want you to add to your virtue and the virtue knowledge. Knowledge of the teachings and word of God. And to knowledge temperance, uh, self-control or discipline. And to temperance, what are you going to add? Patience. Patience is that perseverance in the midst of trial. I know that term has fallen on bad uh, times in our generation, but... But it's because we're, 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 we're uh, not understanding what perseverance is. Hupomene, the word that is translated uh, patience in our Bible, often is talking about being bearing up under trial or under a load. Uh, it, it's a grace that God gives to His children. But brothers and sisters, don't misunderstand the doctrine of perseverance. It's not dependent upon uh, our strength or our ability, but it's dependent upon God working in us. That's where perseverance comes from. Amen. Do you understand where I'm coming from? He says, I'm going to tell you what I want to see. I want to see some growth in the church. I want to see some growth in the life of the members of the church. And, I, and it's not going to happen without temperance. It's not going to happen without patience, uh, perseverance. And then to perseverance, you're going to add godliness. And this term actually means a reverence for spiritual things. We need to revere the teachings of God's Word. You know, you've all seen the bumper sticker that says, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. But actually, that's not accurate. Because if God said it, that settles it, whether I believe it or not. Whether I embrace it or not. What God says is what matters. Not what I feel, not what I think, not what my particular opinion might be. So when I see this process of, of growth, I, I'm, I become aware that the more knowledge I have of God's Word, the more temperance or uh, discipline I have in my life, the more patience I perceive. And that patience points me toward spiritual things or a reverence of spiritual songs, of spiritual prayers, of spiritual preaching. I don't reject it, I don't despise it, I embrace it and rejoice in it. And then he says in verse 7, to godliness I want you to add this, I want you to add brotherly kindness. I meant to mention this first, the word add. The word add in this uh, context comes from a Greek word that means together as a chorus. Like choreography which will produce harmony or unity. Now just think about this. Here, um, you could think about this being seven notes in um, an orchestrated song. And those seven notes are blended together to produce harmony. And to godliness, we're going to add brotherly kindness. Kindness. Brotherly kindness. What a great, great gift that is to the Church of God. And to brotherly kindness, we're going to add something else. What what does your Bible say? What what is that seventh note in the hymn, the Christian hymn? Charity. Love. Agape. Uh, well, Brother Jeff, isn't that a redundancy? Isn't that, isn't that a part of brotherly kindness? Did you know that it's it's a different Greek word? Uh, the Philadelphia, the brotherly kindness is based upon a friendship, uh, based upon a closeness that you might have with a fellow football player, a closeness that you have with a teammate, a, 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 a closeness that a soldier has with someone that he's in in a battle situation with a band of soldiers a band of of brothers you hear them talk that way when they when my brother when my I have a brother that was in the army and he would talk about his fellow soldiers as brothers they're my brothers brothers in arms that's the kind of affection that would drive a soldier to go out into a midst of a, a battlefield to rescue a fallen soldier. That's that word. But there's even a word that's higher than that. And that's agape. That, that is the word for charity. It is a sacrificial love. It's a, 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 the kind of love that only the Holy Spirit can produce in the heart and life of an individual. You see, these seven notes are God's intended process of growth. The basis of that growth, keep that in mind, is God's power and God's promises and and your participation. But these seven notes are actually the process by which your life becomes a song. It becomes a hymn of praise to the living King. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that wonderful? The third point I want to make this morning is the necessity of growth. The necessity of growth. There's six stated reasons here. I want you to underscore them. In verse 8, he says, For if these things be in you and then abound, they, will, uh, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge, that's the third reference to knowledge, of the Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten, forgotten, that he was purged from his old sins, his old sins. Wherefore, rather, brethren, give diligence. To make your calling and election sure, for if these thing, if ye do these things, ye shall never fail. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into everlasting kingdom of our Lord Jesus, uh, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now I want you to notice these six stated reasons why growth is necessary. Number one to counter unfruitfulness in my life to counter the tendency to be lazy the tendency in all of us to be indifferent to the, the tendency to be cold toward the things of god we need to be intentional about Christian growth, if these things be in you and abound, they will make you that you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we want we want this growth. We want to embrace this growth to counter uh, unfruitfulness and not be lazy or sluggish, as Paul used the term in Hebrews five eleven. Uh, we don't we don't want to be that way. We don't want to be Can I use this term? And I hope I'm not offensive to anyone. A spiritual hobo. One of the deacons I had in the first church. I pastored the church that ordained me. uh, Shared his experience as a young man. He was a farm boy. And uh, his name was Olney Baldock. A great deacon. Great brother. (laughs) But when he was a young man. He lived during the Depression, and there was no work. He says there was no money. And they heard about work in California. So him and his brother decided what they needed to do was take a train to California. And uh, the trains back then, to accommodate the hobos, they would put a flat car. on the the end of their train. So these people going west would have an opportunity to go and work in the orchards and the fields and so forth. So as a young man, before he was married, him and his brother jumped on that train and they went to California. And he shared many interesting uh, stories about the life of a hobo. I don't want us to be spiritual hobos. The Apostle Peter did not want us to just kind of get on the Christian train and ride it to a destination, not knowing what was going to happen when we got there. The Apostle Peter wanted us to know where we are and to know who we are. So he says, I want you to be very intentional in uh, uh, uh toward Christian growth in your own life. I don't want you to be unfruitful. Uh, The second thing we learn here is that as we are intentional toward our personal growth, we gain fuller knowledge. We gain more intimate familiarity with the Lord. We are interested in knowing more about Jesus so we can value more about Jesus, so we can serve more like Jesus, so we can look more like Jesus looked. Thirdly, to avoid spiritual blindness. Listen to him. He says, He that lacks these things is blind and cannot see afar off. We need to be careful not to avoid, uh, to avoid uh, spiritual blindness uh, through a lack of vision. And by the way, a lack of hope. I know many of us are discouraged because of the results of this past election. But I want you to know that my hope this morning is not contingent upon Republican victories. My hope is in Jesus Christ. And as long as my hope is in him, no matter what happens in my nation, no matter what happens in in our world, we're going to be all right. We're going to have peace and we're going to uh, be able to serve wherever we are. Peter says, I want you to avoid spiritual blindness or lack of vision and hope, kind of like Samson. Do you remember Samson, the story of Samson? Children, do you remember the story of Samson? You know, there was a period in there where Samson lost all hope. You know, he lost, what did he lose? He lost his eyes. And he thought because he lost his eyes... You know, God is not going to use me. God doesn't have any other purpose for me. God cannot uh, forgive me for the sins that I've sinned against him. And remember, he was grinding corn in that uh, dungeon for the enemy of God. You talk about a low place. Samson was there. But something happened. Children, what happened to Samson after a period of time? Are you listening? listening? After a period of time, what happened to Samson's hair? It started growing back. Something was going on, not just on the head of of Samson, but something was going on in his heart. Because I believe he repented. Now, I know there's differences of opinion, but I believe that he was sorry for the things that he had done against God. And in that last moment, when he was being made sport of by the watching world, he said, God avenge me of mine eyes. Think about what he said. And then he said, Let me die with your enemies. You see, I I believe he was sorry. For the mistakes that he had made. He was acknowledging those before the Lord, and he was acknowledging that he was worthy of the same death as the enemies of God were. But isn't it interesting when you read uh, Hebrews chapter 11? There's the name of Samson right there, along with the others that weren't uh, near as uh, blind as Samson was. The point I'm trying to get to is. If you and I are not consciously working toward our own growth as Christian men and women, as followers of Christ on a daily basis, we can become spiritually blind. We can become blind to the power and the promises that God has given us. And that's when we become indifferent and cold toward the church, toward the gospel, toward the truth. And we're going to pay a price for it. I believe that he 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 he's underscoring what happens in spiritual blindness when he says, "And hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins." Forgetfulness uh, uh, of the cost of salvation. Forgetfulness of how great God's grace has been to us. Have you have you been guilty of that? I have. Forgetting why we worship. Forgetting where we are and who we are as Christians. Fourthly, he says, Wherefore, brethren, give diligence, diligence to make your calling and election sure. Somebody says, Well, are we going to make that sure to God? We're going to make our calling and election sure to God? No. You can't make it sure to God. God's already sure. He's been sure before time began. Well, oh, oh, then I can make it sure to other people. No, you can't. Because other people can't see your heart. Other people don't see what you are or who you are in the dark. Other people don't know you like God knows you. Then who are you making it sure to? Who are you making sure your salvation? It's not to God and it's not to others. It must be to yourself. It must be to yourself. This is called the doctrine of assurance. Being assured that I belong to God. Being assured that I've been forgiven of my sins. Being assured that when I die, I'm going to be with Him. In eternity. You lose sight of that. You forget that. If you're not attending to your growth as a Christian. He says, I want you to be diligent in this. And if you do these things, you shall never fail. Hallelujah. It helps us. Fifth point. It helps us to avoid falling into various acts of sinful Behavior. Oh, is that important? Oh, you better believe it is. You're sitting there and you're saying, Oh, that couldn't happen to me, Pastor. Oh, no, that couldn't happen to me. Oh, yes, it can. It can happen to each one of us when we are not attending to our growth as Christians as we should. Sixthly, he says... Uh, he says, I want you to be active in this uh, Christian growth because it's going to help you focus on the coming kingdom blessings that are ours in Christ. It's go- We're going to be future-oriented. For soul and entrance shall be ministered to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He Notice, he's telling us that we need to have an eternal perspective. I, I know it's bad. I know it can get bad in this wicked, old, broken world. But I'm going to tell you, it's not as bad as it could be. And it's not as bad as it's going to be. But it's not as good as it will be for the elect family of God. So Paul says, we need to understand the necessity of growth. Lastly, this morning, I want to think about the means of growth. The means that God has ordained for His people to grow. Watch this. In verse 12, He says, Wherefore, I will not be uh, negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though ye know them, and be established in the present truth. Through remembrance and application of both the New and Old Testament revelation of God, we can stay the course. We, we can. If we're hinged to the Word of God. You know, that's what I appreciate about Martin Luther. When he stood before the people that could have killed him. Back in the 1400s, remember, the power belonged to the Catholic Church. And if they said that Martin Luther was going to die a heretic, they would take him out and burn him a stake. And yet, he stood before them and said this, My conscience is bound to the Word of God. And to violate conscience is neither good nor safe. Here I stand. The courage that it took to say those words to that tribunal. But you know how he could do it? He was an example of disciplined life that attended to the Word of God old and new testament he he actually helped translate remember he was responsible for uh, translating the hebrew and the greek testaments into german german tremendous mind and it took a lot of discipline you see what i'm pointing us to is the fact that god has ordained that his people grow through his word now and I don't want to show off hands on this question, but now can I ask you a very personal question? Is there dust being gathered on the tops of your Bible? How much time do you spend in God's Word? How, how much, or, or, or reading... Um, Biographical books or or, or reading Christian books that help reinforce your faith. How how much time do we actually dedicate to that? How how much time do we dedicate to listening to the preaching of God's word? Whether it's by tape or CD or, or online. So that we might grow more like Christ. You see brothers and sisters this is the truth that I'm speaking to you in love this morning. You and I will never grow to be the people that God called us to be and do the work that God called us to do until we are serious students of the Scripture. Can I get an amen there? Until we're serious about a devoted study of God's Word. And brothers and sisters, I'm not trying to condemn. I'm not trying to, you know, I don't have a chair in one hand and a whip in the other this morning. I'm just telling you, I believe that this was on the heart of Peter. That the Christian community would be serious about individual growth. That they would attend to the means of growth. Which is the study and application of God's holy word that they would would, uh, understand the necessity of our growth to be more useful to Christ and His kingdom and understand the process of that growth in their lives and the basis of that growth. So here here is the, the parting prayer of the Apostle Peter before he went. To be crucified upside down. Historians tell us. Because he said he wasn't worthy. To be crucified like his Savior. What's your last word. Dear Peter. (coughs) That you would grow. In grace. And knowledge. Of our Lord Jesus Christ. For the glory of God our Savior. In the advancement of his kingdom. Amen. Thank you for your good attention. Brother Andy.